Welcome to the Resiliency Podcast. Join us for discussions about the timeless principles of human healing, mental wellness, and modern science. Professor and Director of Mental Health and Nutrition Group at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand, Dr. Julia Rutledge co-wrote The Better Brain with Dr. Bonnie Kaplan. Their book focuses on how to overcome anxiety, combat depression, and reduce ADHD and stress with better nutrients. Join us today as she talks about how we eat, the way we live, and supplementation plays a foundational role in our mental health. Thank you for being here today, Julia. Uh, why don't we start with talking about your book, The Better Brain, and really uh, what you focused on with that, um, with overcoming anxiety and depression and how what we eat really affects our mental health. So the book is written for the lay public. So it's putting together the research that I've been doing as well as others internationally around the world on the effect of vitamins and minerals on and nutrition in general on brain health. And so it is written in a way that's accessible, readable, and um, hopefully will help people understand why they should really care about what they're eating. We do um, start off by sort of uh, putting it into the context of our current environment of what we're doing right now for the treatment of people who are struggling with mental health issues, talking about conventional treatments, um, you know, some of the sobering statistics around the current treatments that are out there, uh, appreciating and acknowledging that some people do really well on medications, but many people continue to suffer and struggle with mental health issues in terms of um, continue to struggle with depression, but they're on antidepressants, and also struggling with more the re-emergence re of more symptoms when they come off of those um, medications so they experience withdrawal so we we put the context there and then um, and then what we do is we go into the food environment and for me just know understand that when I came into this area of research I didn't know anything about nutrition I was completely naive to it I had this training in psychology that told me that nutrition was irrelevant you know the way to treat people is with drugs and psychotherapy and so to get, to go into the research that Bonnie had been involved in and just take this curious approach let's just see what happens when we give people minerals and vitamins at doses that are higher than the recommended dietary allowance but still within a level that is completely safe what happens when we give it to them and so my early clinical trials were showing people getting better I mean it's not that everyone got better but so many people got better and they'd come in and tell me these stories about how they uh, you know they felt calmer they felt less stressed they were better able to cope with the you know what life threw at them uh, they were perhaps less likely to engage in um, you know drinking or smoking and that the, the consumption of those things went down uh, they were feeling less anxious better concentration better sleep better energy so when you hear those stories it's pretty remarkable when when I hear a story of complete transformation and we're and not only reduction of symptoms, but improvement and flourishing in life, which I think is also important for us to acknowledge is just is not just the absence of depression, but also that your life is is um, meaningful and that you're engaged with the world. To hear those stories was truly remarkable. And so it led me down this path of thinking, 
why is it just giving people vitamins and minerals has made such a difference? I always thought that we had an adequate supply of vitamins and minerals in our diet. And so uh, why is it that the we're seeing these and observing these changes? So it led me down these rabbit holes of better understanding the food environment. And so one of so going back to the book, we then talk about that food environment and the really startling uh, data that we came across was that 50% of our current of, of um, the calories that, that people are eating in North America is coming from ultra processed foods. And so ultra processed foods are those foods that are low in your fruit, you know, your vitamins and minerals is what I've learned. Um, but also low in fruit and vegetables, but high in these packaged foods. So high in those uh, foods that have got a lot of things that have been added into them, your emulsifiers, your preservatives, your colors, your flavors, etc. And, um, and they've been toyed with around their you know, their their salt content and their fat content protein etc but they have become over that that processing they become devoid of vitamins and minerals and so what what i think is happening is that we're providing those extra nutrients that people have stopped eating from their their diet and I think that's why we observed so many um, really remarkable changes in so many people. So that's what the book is about, is that we talk about the, the research that's on the, on the association between diet and, um, and mental health issues. And there's been a, an enormous amount of research now in that space showing that the more you eat a Mediterranean-style diet, the lower your risk for mental health issues and vice versa. The more you eat a standard American diet or the Western diet, then the higher your risk for mental health issues, that this can be reversed, that the mental health issues can be reversed by changing of diet, and that there are some people who may need more. And so we talk about that in the book as well, about the reasons why some people may need more nutrients than what they can, they can get, even when they're diet is really good. And then we talk a lot about the supplementation research that I've been doing here in New Zealand, but also that's been done in North America and in other places around the world. And so that's the book kind of in a nutshell. And we just teach people about how to eat this way, how to eat sort of a Mediterranean style way. There are recipes in the book and lots of guidance around, um, yeah, how to sort of shift your thinking and, and acknowledge the importance that every time you're putting something in your mouth, you are making a choice about whether it's going to be nourishing or nutrient depleted. So we hope that it sort of really has a huge impact on the way people think about food. Well, and you focus on micronutrients a lot. And so why don't we talk about that too? So with micronutrients and supplementation, sure. I think a lot of people say, well, why can't I just eat healthier? Um, and I think that's a, something you've talked about is, you know, the struggle that is there. So why don't we talk us about like, maybe like, what exactly do you mean when you're discussing micronutrients? Um, and then sure. how the difference between supplementation and then trying to, you know, obviously eating healthier, like you said, eating a Mediterranean way is healthier, but you know, how that can often maybe not work out for some people as well. Sure. So um, vitamins and minerals are, are what we call those micro, micronutrients. So that's usually the term we use in, in the book. Um, and we, there's, there, absolutely essential for everything that's going on in your body and so they're important for all of the biochemical reactions that are happening and so for your listeners who don't want to go into like they had a big lesson in biochemistry the i'm sure many of them have heard about serotonin and you i think you've mentioned that already in the ssris and people sort of acknowledge and understand that what the ssris are doing is affecting serotonergic levels um and so what we're we explain in the book is that actually 
in order to make serotonin, for your body to make serotonin or other neurotransmitters as well, like dopamine or adrenaline or GABA, et cetera, all of those neurotransmitters are made with vitamins and minerals being present. They are required for all of the different chemical pathways. They need to be there and they act as what's called a cofactor and they act, they assist enzymes in doing their job. So they're like the little workers. They're the workers in the factory that if you don't have them, your final product isn't going to be, be able to be manufactured. So that's what they're serving. They're serving this such an essential uh, function. And we've, our talk in, in the food about our food environment doesn't really talk about vitamins and minerals. We hear about fats, we hear about carbohydrates, we hear about proteins. I'm sure everyone's heard about those um, all the time around different types of, of diets that you can follow, like the keto diet or the paleo diet or carnivore diet, etc. But the, that overshadows the importance of these vitamins and minerals. So if you, you know, if you you can eat an ultra processed diet that has a good ratio of fats, carbs, and proteins, it is possible. But will it be full and rich in those vitamins and minerals that are essential for all of those those for for supporting all of those chemical pathways and all of those transformations and metabolic reactions that are happening in your body? The answer is no. It's they're not they're not at present the same degree as they are present in your real whole foods. So that's that's really what we we make sure that the reader really understands the why they're so essential and that we've really overshot we've overlooked them. If you look at a food package, you won't you'll see it it'll talk about calories, it'll talk about fats, proteins and carbs. It might list a couple of vitamins and minerals, like it might say the percentage of uh, vitamin D or vitamin A or vitamin C, a few of them, but it will not list the full 30, which is a set that are essential for us to consume every day for those chemical reactions. And so you kind of think, how is it possible that the food industry has been able to get away with providing information that is not complete. And in fact, if they were to tell you about the full array of whether or not they have the 30 minerals and 30 minerals and vitamins contained in that food, you would probably see a whole bunch of zeros. And that might wake up the public to think, oh my God, there's none of those vitamins and minerals that my brain needs. No wonder I feel sluggish and slow and foggy because my brain is, is basically operating on an empty fuel tank. You might have a Ferrari, but if you have no fuel, it's not going to operate. So your brain could be amazingly constructed, but it, you're, if you're not providing it with that constant replenishment of fuel, then it's just not going to it's not going to work to the optimal in terms of being able to concentrate at work or be able to parent properly or to you know even be able to get out of bed in the morning. So all of those things do require the presence of these vitamins and minerals. So we we talk about that in the book around. How how we really need to rethink our food environment. Um, and then when we start going down other rabbit holes, you start to go, oh no, like even when we're growing really good food, our, our soils are depleted of these minerals. And so if, this, if the soils are depleted of the minerals, then the plant can't take them up in, through the root system and into the plant. And then the plant uses minerals to make vitamins. Humans cannot make a lot of the vitamins and minerals ourselves. We can make a few, our, our microbiome, our bacteria and our gut can make a few B vitamins. 
and our skin obviously can make some vitamin D. But that's pretty much it. We cannot make zinc, iodine, selenium, magnesium, um, manganese, um, all of these minerals. They can only we can only get them through our food. So we either get them through eating plants that have taken the minerals up out of the soil or we eat an animal that's eaten the plant and so that's your way of getting these these minerals and there's no other way and so if there's if the mineral if the minerals are depleted in the soil and there's a lot of reasons why that's happened poor agri the agri change in agricultural practices over the last hundred years um, we are putting on glyphosate on our on our crops in order to control the weeds and act is a desiccant but a but glyphosate is a mineral chelator and that means it pulls the minerals out of the plant or it or it binds to the minerals in the soil and then it rains and then the minerals wash away so there's a number of different ways the way how why glyphosate has been really devastating to the mineral density of our of our plants and that's been well shown um carb carbon dioxide changes that influences how quickly plants grow and it increases the speed that plants grow but that means there's less time for uptake of minerals from the soil again so there's a whole host of reasons why even if you eat a really good diet you may some people may need more and that's where the supplementation research is really important and vital for those people who may blame themselves who think well i'm eating a really good diet and i still feel feel depressed or I still feel anxious, those people may need additional nutrients than what they can get out of their diet or, oh goodness, do you want me to keep going? <laughs> I was, no, I, I just, no, I think, exactly. Yeah, I think this is such important information that I think people just aren't talking about. So yeah, absolutely. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll mention something that I think is probably pretty relevant to what you do, and that is stress. Is that stress um, is is a, an incredibly important, uh, you know, a, a function. I mean, it's something that it's important that well we, that we react to stress, that we have a system of reacting to stress, and our system of reacting to stressors is that we have a fight flight response, and that's something that I'm sure most people are familiar with. And it's that you produce adrenaline in response to this, you know, this stressor that's in front of you. Be it um, well, I mean, in the olden days, it was could have been the tiger, it could be um, being exposed to something that's going to th is threatening your safety, like if somebody was in a war zone, or if they were being attacked by someone, domestic violence, all of those things are going to trigger that fight flight response. But it also gets triggered by just chronic stressors in an, our, our environment. So the worry of COVID, um, worry about losing your job, financial stress, uh, workplace stress, um, stress to do with, you know, traffic woes, worrying about the future, in terms of our climate change, uh, you know, you name it, where our body still is going to respond in a sort of similar way. And so it, the, the body is, is clever. It's incredibly clever in that it diverts nutrient resources to support the fight-flight response because fight-flight response is all about survival. So, of course, we're going to just always support that one first. It's like the triage in an emergency room is that the person who comes in as the motor vehicle accident who's just about – who's who's on life support is going to get treated first and before someone who's coming with a sprained ankle. So we're going to triage and the body does the same thing. It's going to divert all the resources towards the fight fly response. And so what we've wondered, and I can support this with data from having done research within traumatic environments, like after an earthquake, after a flood, after a mosque, a shooting, a mosque, a sort of a shooting in a mosque here in Christchurch, where 
we we replenish people we give them more nutrients than what they have their resources have and that seems to mean that the fight flight response gets what it needs and then the rest of the body that still needs to function but is going to be functioning on empty if you don't replenish the nutrient supply uh, that we we replenish the nutrient supply so that you can you don't experience that sleep deprivation that you do after experience a traumatic event or when your fight flight response is being sort of triggered or your you know that your mood is all over the place and we're irritable or um, so it helps calm that system down or helps you with the anxiety of, of managing the anxiety all of those things that kind of get put to the side when you when the the nutrient resources get diverted to the fight flight response so the the one of the things that we talk about in the book is the just the so how important it is that we are sort of nutritionally resilient and that we have a full fuel tank to help support the body when we are um, faced with stressors. And there's no one out there who's not stressed by, faced with stressors. So there isn't anyone listening who doesn't, who has a perfect life and has nothing that happens to them that's bad or, or, or challenges, challenges them in some way. So it's, this is relevant to all of us is that we want to make sure that we are adequately supplied with nutrients before stressors happen so that we can respond far more effectively. And so in the research that we did in the in Christchurch after a, an earthquake that was happened in September 2010 was that we were able to I, identify people who happened to be taking these extra nutrients before the earthquake, and we were able to compare it to people who weren't taking those nutrients. And they just it's just because of where they were in our clinical trials. And we showed that the people who were happened to be taking the extra nutrients were more resilient. They Yes, they got stressed after the earthquake. It was a stressful event, but they recovered far more quickly. And that, to me, was one of the most remarkable observations that I've made in any of our research, is that these people recovered more quickly. And the only difference between them was that some were getting extra nutrients before the, the, the earthquake and some weren't. So we then expanded on that idea and we gave people nutrients after the earthquake. And so there was another big earthquake in February 2011. And we gave people nutrients after that earthquake. And we were able to show the reduction of PT, of, of a probable PTSD. And I say probable because we used questionnaires to assess it from 65% down to 19% in one month of treatment with additional micronutrients, which is a stunning effect. Not everyone got better. Still, some people were incredibly traumatized, but we, we showed this really massive, quite quick reduction in symptoms associated with PTSD and no change in people who were receiving um, sort of conventional care. So that tells you that this is we're on to something. And I think what we're on to is just acknowledging that when we are stressed, when we're experiencing more than what than what's happening on our average day, what we need to do is replenish the body. We need to be supporting it with nutrient rich foods and not the type of foods that most of us or many people will reach for in those circumstances, which are things like your donuts or your 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 um, muffins, your, you know, those, you know, all of those um, uh, comfort types of foods, but all they do is they provide you with some sugar that makes you kind of feel good for a very short period of time, but they are not providing with you with that nutrients for long-term health. 
I think too. How is that? Yeah, right. <laughs> sure, well, your answer. It is. And so, so many people, and I mean, I've, I've fallen prey to this. I think we all have is, you know, you reach for something that's, you know, sugary or high carbs, which just translates to sugar as well. You get that immediate, you know, dopamine, serotonin rush, and then mm-hmm. you crash. And long-term, it's, it's not helping you at all. Mm-hmm. And so with working, you know, through this study that you were doing through the earthquakes, what did you see for long-term support and care? So obviously there's a pretty, yeah. you know, between a month out and then carrying on, there's usually uh, a lot of people there, their, their PTS will continue. And so obviously you saw, you know, a great reduction. And then what did that kind of look like in the long term as well? Sure. So we have um, followed people in that, from that, that study that we did after the February, 2011 earthquake, we followed them a year later to find out what was going on. And, but at that point, many people had stopped the nutrients. So they'd use the nutrients acutely, they got themselves to a better place, and they stopped them because after the the sort of the controlled part was over, then people were up, to, it was up to them what they wanted to do. And what we found in that situation was that people that yes, over time, regardless of which group you happen to be in, if you were the one who was treatment as usual, overall, as an average, the, stra- the PTSD symptoms did drop at that one-year point, but it dropped more for the people who had even just ac- had received acute treatment for their PTSD symptoms. So that's reassuring that the effect is long-term. Um, in other studies that we've done, which has been on ADHD, which is slightly different, although there is sort of a hyper, sort of, uh, well, there's a hypervigilance that can be associated with ADHD, and there are some overlaps in the symptoms that people with ADHD experience as well as PTSD, although for very different reasons. Uh, we find that people need to stay replenished in terms of their nutrients for the most part, in that when we look at them at one year, the people who are doing the best are the ones who stay on the nutrients for the most part. People who switch to medications don't do as well. People who stop don't do as well. So in those scenarios, it it seems that staying nutritionally, um, uh, you know, repleted is important. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And so when you're focusing on nutrients um, through these studies, what what nutrients were you focusing on? And were there ones that, you know, you found that made the biggest difference and one that, you know, maybe that while important aren't maybe necessarily the main focus? Sure. So what I think you're getting at is whether or not there's like some very special single ingredients out there that we should all take, like a you know magnesium or vitamin D. Is that yeah. what you're? Yeah. I mean, I think that's me a little bit about. Yeah, a little bit, and then maybe also we can later segue into you know how that translates to the food that we eat and the types of things sure. we should be focusing on. I- the thing that is unique about the research that I've been doing, but I don't want to say I'm the only one because there are other people who are studying sort of different combinations of essentially these 30 vitamins and minerals that I've, I alluded to that are so important and essential for us to consume. But there's no magic to it in that it's not that you have to have the magic number, but what seems to be a consistent across all of these studies where they have used the sort of the broad, what I call a broad spectrum approach, and that is there's acknowledging that no one nutrient is special that your body when you look at the pathways to make serotonin there isn't just the one nutrient that's required it's not like you just have to have magnesium present and everything's going to be okay you have to have magnesium zinc b6 molybdenum iron etc so you need this the what a full array 
of vitamins and minerals to be present to make your serotonin. And it might be a different combination or at different doses that are required for making other neurotransmitters. But the bottom line is that you need them all. So when we get asked, when Bonnie and I get asked about, well, you know, which are the special nutrients that really are the must have, I'd say it's probably the wrong question because it's it continues to go down that that path, that scientific thinking that the only way to solve a problem is with one molecule. And we were led to kind of think that way with the SSRIs because that's one molecule. Prozac is one molecule. And so it's, you know, a combination of some, you know, carbons and nitrogens and oxygens, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's, it is this one molecule that's being given. Whereas what we're doing here is we're giving this whole array of different vitamins and minerals to solve the problem. And we're trying to solve a wicked problem, which is means that it's not got one solution. And I think we know that by, at this stage because we have a mental health crisis. And if it was solved by one solution, we would have found it by now, that single nutrient. So I, I guess I'm encouraging Think the your listeners to to not think about uh, getting that one magic nutrient. That really the benefit is potentially in the full array. And the reason I can say that with confidence is that we've also looked at the single nutrient literature. And when you look at that literature, you see fairly modest, if not no effects. And that's often what you hear. You'll hear it in the media then that these things are a waste of time and they're a waste of their their expensive urine and da 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 and all of that, based on these single nutrient studies. And what we're doing is quite different. It's it's saying let's give the body all of the um, material it needs, all of the different tools it needs in order to to function and that's what we haven't really done up until now so this idea is novel in that it's it's taking quite a different approach and giving all the nutrients in one go as opposed to thinking there's just some select few that that's all we need so does that I hope that answers your question around are there some favorites and I don't have a favorite nutrient I I do one of those say is that there are there are people out there who will just be taking one single nutrient for example, they might just take magnesium or they might just take vitamin D and they feel great. And if those people are feeling great, then that's great. Fine. Excellent. Then keep doing what you're doing. Don't feel that you have to change. But so many people do that, go that route. They get no success. And so then they end up back on medication. And so what I'm, what I'm really encouraging is people to think differently about it and that maybe the solutions that they've been following um, have been couched in that scientific approach that I would say overall is potentially outdated when it comes to the uh, treatment of mental health problems. I think that's such a great way to look at it. It's more of a a lifestyle and a lifestyle change as opposed to Mm -hmm. just a a quick fix, which as you said, has been a a major issue with our culture today is everybody wants a Um, Band-Aid and that's often what they're doing. Instead of fixing things, you're Band-Aiding it. But the problem is when you take that Band-Aid off, the problem's still there. So I I think that's such a a great way to look at it is in a, just a completely different mentality shift on how we're not only looking at mental health, but nutrition as well. And exactly. I th- we are asking for a paradigm shift and it is uncomfortable for some people to accept that maybe we need to go down that route. 
I, I definitely. I don't. I think the some of the best things are often the most uncomfortable, though, as far as uh, <laughs> right. digging into our own yeah. personal, you know, things that we've got going on. And you really focus with the book too on really breaking it down and making it simple. So I think for a lot of people, their struggles. Well, this is overwhelming. I'm not sure where to start. And so, what are some you know easy thing? Not easy necessarily, but first steps that you might recommend yeah. for somebody to obviously sure. besides checking out your book because it's. I think it's a really great asset for people that are just looking into, you know, this realm, but, um, what are some recommendations you've got for them to kind of get started? I sure. I mean, I think one thing is to not be overwhelmed by the, the diet literature. So by that, I mean, if you were to do a a Google search on, you know, on, well, I don't know, what should I eat? I've actually, to be honest, I don't know what would come up, but my guess is that you'd end up with learning about all these different diets that I mentioned before, like, should I go keto or vegetarian or vegan or carnivore? And so it's overwhelming. And so I think a lot of people kind of get stuck when they, they don't have a clear path. And so what our very, very clear message is, is to reduce towards eliminate because that's your goal, but really start doing those steps towards reducing the amount of ultra processed foods that you're eating and increase your intake of your real whole foods. So it doesn't have to, and we, we follow the Mediterranean style diet because it's got the most research, but the bottom line is we want you to reduce your intake of your sugary drinks, your per, that all of that ultra processed things, your takeaways, your processed dinners, you know, those microwavable things and just start to reduce that and start learning how to cook, learn how to use food, your real foods and real foods are your fruits and vegetables. I'm sure that's something that most people would know. It would be your nuts. It would be learning how to use legume, legumes and how to cook with legumes. It's learning how to use lentils, which are super cheap. So that's a, you know, those, it's a really good state staple item, high in protein, high in um, nutrients. Uh, looking at your um, beans, uh, beans are again, really incredibly versatile, not your, your, the beans like that I've got sugar, they're laden in sugar, but your black beans or your kidney beans, those types of beans that haven't been had a whole bunch of other ingredients thrown into the can. So you can use cans. I mean, cans aren't something that you should necessarily be scared of. I mean, as long as they are, they haven't been adulterated massively with sugar, uh, but canned fruit can be fine or, you know, um, frozen, frozen fruit and vegetables, absolutely fine. Not a problem. That doesn't re- diminish the nutrient content of those foods. It's, so it's about looking at it as if, you know, your, your ancestors would have looked at food. Start eating things that you know that your ancestors would recognize as food. And hopefully that in itself is sufficient for so many people because our starting point um, for our book was acknowledging that, as I said, those statistics, 50% of the calories are coming from ultra processed food. We've got to start there. We've got to start with changing our food environment and of the population as a whole. We need to shift that. We need people to start using their community gardens and their farmer's markets and learning about the growing of food and understanding all of that so that they can make different food choices. So those, I hope those aren't sounding too overwhelming, but it's just that step-by-step, what am I going to do this week that I can be seen as a sort of a a step in the right direction? And that is, you know, replacing, you know, can I reduce the sugary drink that I drink every day or that, you know, that um, even the, I mean, diet drinks are just as, are really uh, by research are, are being shown to be, 
almost as evil as as the other drinks as well, just in terms of the effect that aspartame has on your microbiome. And so it's a good idea to be getting rid of all of those things that say diet on them. I don't ever buy anything that's got diet on it because it means that they've been manipulating that particular food in terms of its fat and sugar content. So, uh, so, so if you stick to real foods, then that isn't an issue because it's not you won't say something like low in fat on the on the product because it doesn't have a package. So that's sort of what I'm encouraging people to do is to really think about food in a really different way. And if that doesn't if that doesn't work, or if that's you know only gets you so far, then you can start looking at the specialized diets. And we do go into that in the book. But at this stage, there's not a lot of research for me to put hand on heart say you must go vegan or vegetarian or keto or anything like that um, and in fact we need to really uh, make sure that we're getting a good intake of your omega-3 fatty acids which are the best way to get those is through fish and um, even though I know that they'll there are vegan alternatives uh, like your flaxseed or your chia seeds or your walnuts it's not they are not as um, rich in your EPA and DHA which are the important fatty acids that your brain needs to function and for optimal brain health and particularly mental health. So I worry about people going down that vegetarian vegan diet um, if they don't supplement, uh, you know, it, supplement with a, a high source, a good source of omega-3 fatty acids with the high EPA and DHA, but also things like iron is hard, harder to get out of a vegan diet. B12 is harder to get out of a vegan diet. So we just need to be mindful of some of those depletions that can happen when we go down that route and we think it's healthier, but in fact, we end up excluding some really important nutrients from our diet. So that's why I'm, I don't push for that kind of a diet. Um, we can, we, it's, I know it's harder in the States to eat um, grass-fed meat um, and, and sustain, you know, things, uh, meat that's been, you know, environmentally well uh, looked after and is going to be uh, better for our environment. There are ways that you can go down that route. Reg thinking about regenerative agriculture is one way I'm, I'm, I've become more alert and aware of that. So there are things that we can do uh, that um, can, can, you know, be mindful of the effects on the, on the environment and on the planet, but still make sure that you get the nutrients that you need. So that's, you know, those are some of those sort of, hopefully those sort of steps is really moving away from ultra processed food and increasing your intake of real whole foods is the number one thing. And then, as I said, if that doesn't work entirely, you can follow the, the maybe a more specialized diet. You can look at uh, whether or not it's worth um, excluding some specific food groups. Some people don't tolerate dairy or gluten so it might be worth doing an elimination of some of those foods for a few weeks and see whether or not um, your that has any effect on your mental health and then the supplementation but the supplementation for the most part we encourage as the next step but what I do have a caveat on that is that for some people, if they're so depressed, they're struggling so much, the ideas of, that I've just said of learning to cook or changing your diet may sound absolutely overwhelming, then this supplementation can play a really important role at that stage of getting you to a place where you have a bit more energy and then you can, you're, it's, you're not so overwhelmed with some of these ideas around changing your diet. So it does, you know, it could be, it could certainly play a role in that response is just helping people get to a place where then they feel ready to start changing their diet. And I've seen that um, from the hundreds and hundreds of people that we've seen through research as I've seen that kind of a shift happen for them.
So I hope that's kind of enough. That's enough kind of starting points um, on on uh, sort of those first steps. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's a really good information on kind of where to start. And I think too, as you know, I'm as a parent, um, I think often we're, you know, oh, I'm, you know, working on eating better and, you know, focusing on but I think we get and I have in the past, you get completely overwhelmed when thinking about how to feed your children, especially being Mm. in the States. Mm -hmm. It's so difficult. Um, and so, um, I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. And like, I know you've done research with ADHD, so I imagine you've worked with children as well and really how, you know, feeding our children. And I know you've talked about as well, like even when, you know, women are pregnant, um, and how their nutrition goes on to affect and really create a protective factor for, you know, as their children grow older. And I think it, understanding kind of the science behind it makes it feel like, it may be a lot in the beginning, but there's a great reason why um, yep. we need to focus on it. I, just really focusing on our children's, what we're feeding them um, and not getting overwhelmed by it because in the end, it's it's so vital to their mental well-being. Exactly, exactly. And you ask quite a difficult question because I start to, uh, I'm going to, you know, I start to go down the route of as an individual, like as a parent trying to change their child's eating is really difficult when the environment is so toxic. Right. So when your food environment that surrounds the children is, is toxic, that is that they are surrounded by, um, you know, places like the, the 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven, so I'm trying to think of what's a, what's a new in, in the U.S., but your, your fast food um, outlets, your McDonald's, all of that, and you're surrounded by those, um, all of the, those food outlets, um, and you're not surrounded by fresh foods and p- other people who are eating the same way, I am absolutely sympathetic to the, that parent who is trying to change their child's diet. I think about myself and going through this journey with my own children and, you know, how my kids would, would, would just cry about the foods that they had. And it wasn't the same as the foods that their friends were eating. And I was the one being demonized for the foods that I was giving them when in fact, all of those other parents should have been. So I am incredibly sympathetic to that challenge, which means that it's not just an individual challenge, it's a community level challenge. And so it's something that we need to target at a probably more of a population level as well at the same time to support those individual parents in making better decisions around um, what they feed their children. So I do want to acknowledge how hard it is to make those changes in a toxic food environment. Um, and so that's, uh, so that's where education can come in and play a role in making a change in those, those food behaviors. I think though, you mentioned pregnancy and I, I, I think that that's absolutely one of the places we need to target is making sure that moms eat uh, these real whole foods during their pregnancy because we know that influences the outcome for their infants. And we are, we've just run a study during pregnancy where we gave extra nutrients to moms and we're just in the process of analyzing those data and we're interested in the effects on the infants as well. But there's already published data out there that shows that the more nutritionally rich the diet is of the mom, then the lower the risk of mental health issues in their ch- in their offspring. So that in itself should hopefully encourage parent, you know, moms to be to think deeply about what they're eating during that pregnancy to make sure that they are giving that child the greatest opportunity for um, 
for optimizing their brain health. So there's there's that. And then what influence, though, does eating a more Western-style diet have on the child's food tastes? And so, again, that's why it's so hard. It can be hard to shift because it's almost like an addiction. It's, you know, fast food is. is an addiction, and it is hard to change that. And we do get addicted to sugar. So you if you've had a that in food environment uh, during when you were in utero was this foods that were high in sugar, then no wonder you continue to crave and want to eat those foods when you're an infant and when you're a toddler and, you know, going into the teenage years, you're going to be more um, drawn to those types of foods. So that's why I'm saying, get it right early, get those tastes or done, you know, cr- you know, the desire and want to eat fruit and vegetables established in utero, because that'll make life a lot easier when you're bringing up that child and encouraging them to eat a more whole food diet, because they're going to have that taste for different foods. It doesn't mean it's impossible. Of course, you can change your diet at any stage in life. Absolutely. But I just want to sort of, um, I just want to prepare parents that it's not necessarily easy to just shift your food, the types of foods like with the potato chips and, you know, those types of foods that you might be putting in lunchbox and then start putting in carrot sticks and hummus. Right. That there might be a bit of fight. There might be a bit of a a a, um, a response, <laughs> but I think you know kids can learn and kids can be educated just as much as parents can be educated on the importance of food and why it's important for their learning environment and their energy to be eating those real whole foods. So, uh, so it's about again, just like I was saying earlier around what are the baby steps you can do. You can start doing the same thing with your kids or and get them involved in cooking because that can play a role in their interest in the different types of foods so and and uh, one thing that we describe in the book is the thank you bite which is that you just you have the child eat the food but then spit it out into a bowl and just say thank you and so it means that they start to get used to the taste but they don't have to fully swallow that food so that they're just getting and and over time we know that that exposure will increase their likelihood of wanting to eat that type of food so there's a lot of things and I, you know, just, you have to persevere when you are, you know, you, if you're on that journey, it's about sticking with it, keep going. It's going to have roadblocks. They're going to be sometimes where you, you, you know, you just give up and give in. And, but if your overall sort of journey is in the right direction, then those blips are fine. They're just going to be part of that learning process. So, you know, I guess I'm also encouraging people to be kind to themselves and forgiving when they, you know, they, they do end up you know, kind of airing back to the the old habits. Absolutely. I think too, it's important. And this is something that I didn't even, I had somebody uh, was kind of mentoring me, if you will, on nutrition a while back. And so um, the being cognizant of the amount of buzzwords that, um, you know, companies, and especially in this country, I'm not sure about others like to use such as natural or 100% fruit juice Mm -hmm. or all of these things. And you can take something that was, um, you know, 100% fruit juice, or it's a smoothie in a bottle, and it's got 58 grams of sugar in it. Mm -hmm. And you might as well just give them a bowl of ice cream, because nutritionally, it's the exact same thing. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. I was really surprised when we kind of went into our, uh, our sugar dive as a family of the amount of places that it was hiding, where they're, mm-hmm. you know, making these products into having that kind of sweet spot, where it's, yep. you know, it's in That's soup, right. and it's in ketchup. And we're like, why does this ketchup have 15 grams of sugar? Why is there 20 grams of sugar in tomato soup? 
Um, and mm-hmm. so recognizing for me, it was like, well, I can just make tomato soup. It's it, uh, as it turns out, is much easier than I expected it to be. Exactly. Uh, and a That's whole right. lot exactly. cheaper. And so um, I think there's a lot of people, myself included, that have been really surprised like, oh, but this apple juice is 100% juice. It's, you know, it's healthy. And no, mm-hmm. I was essentially giving them the same amount of sugar as a Mountain Dew five times a day. You know? I know. And like, I know. And, and then asking exactly. them why they're not focusing. <laughs> So. I know, I know. And so we have been fooled by the food environment and we will continue to be by the food industry and we will continue to be fooled by the food industry. They, they're out to make a profit that mm-hmm. that's their business. And so they will, we, they will do everything they can to try to uh, entice us into their foods and, and under the premise that it's healthy. Yeah. So we have to be really careful. That's why just eat the foods that your grandmother would recognize as food. Right. It's, Those that's, whole it's foods. sort of simple. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's too, it's what you were saying about pregnancy and the idea of, you know, we're so um, focused, I think, on helping people after the fact. And so the Mm. option of like supplementing before mental illness ever happens. And what does that look like if we are, you know, really working in the foreground to create this resiliency uh, mentally among our community instead of really, you know, being stuck in the aftermath of mental health, which is uh, a lot of people, it's a rock bottom for them and really detrimental to their lives, their family, their marriages. And um, I, I love that idea of, really taking that accountability for helping our children as well for being able to, you know, set them up and set their children up for just, you know, that mental resiliency that uh, it offers. Exactly. And so we, and we have to do that as a, as a community. I really think that that's where we've said, we just say that's enough. We, you know, and, and we can, we're the consumers. So we, we can um, make those changes by making different choices at the supermarket. And if you start doing that, then that, then the food products that are available to you will change. And so there will be more availability of more fruits and vegetables if that's what we start going for or the, the, chickpeas and the beans and the lentils that I mentioned or nuts, et cetera. So that, and our fish or yeah, whatever. So I, we can, we can, we are more powerful than we, maybe we sometimes think we are. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And I think as a community is where that lies. And, um, you know, I've experienced before of like, oh, just, you know, let them have like, why are you so strict? Or, um, you know, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not perfect at all. We have processed food in our cabinet and shouldn't, um, obviously, but um, I do try to be pretty uh, where I can being cognizant of what they're eating on a daily basis and balancing yeah. where we can. And um, I've experienced that where people are, you know, oh, why are you so strict? And just let them have it. Oh, they're just kids. And um, I yeah. think looking at it from a mental health standpoint of like, Hey, I'm the mm-hmm. way that you're feeding them, this thing that seems so natural is really setting them up for, uh, I mean, maybe even success or failure for the rest of their lives. Um, and really being able yep. to support them on a nutritional level. And it is hard, um, getting them to change, you know, the way that they're eating. Um, but like you said, they, their taste does change over time and it's little bits, it, right? It definitely does. You're not starting with like mm-hmm. curry or something, you know, it's, um, no, starting no, with, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's yeah, so important exactly. for sure. Exactly. Um, you talked a little bit about, um, the difference between dietary patterns and like mental health patterns. And I think some mm-hmm. people struggle with, oh, I was doing really great. And you know, these, like you said, these diets that maybe they're focusing on instead of just overall, um, you know, kind of lifestyle shift. 
And so what yeah. have you found with kind of success or failures when people are kind of focusing on a diet model instead of a lifestyle model? Yeah, I mean, that's, that is, you know, we've, this diet term has been around for as long as I've been alive. And it's this it's sort of idea that, okay, reduce, essentially reduce your caloric intake for a certain period of time, lose your weight, and then you end up going back onto the old habits. That's just, that's not what we're encouraging here. What we're encouraging, as you say, is a lifestyle change is that when you shift to your real fruit and vegetables and your nuts and your seeds and your fish and your healthy fats and your olive oil then that is a life that's a lifetime commitment it's not a three-month commitment um, because if you just go back to the, your ultra processed foods once you've done that in fact hopefully you won't desire them as much and they will taste really bland like your desire for it totally totally changes over time I can't eat any of that stuff anymore it just it's just tastes yuck to me it tastes well, it tastes processed. It tastes like a, you know, a, a brownie that's made in a supermarket. It's, just, yeah, it's just dry, crumbly, and um, something that I can make in my kitchen is going to be, is going to just taste so much better. We've got a, a black bean brownie uh, recipe in the book, which uses black beans. So I was just thinking about that. And so you can, you can make a, a healthier, you know, healthier treat like that. Absolutely. And people don't even know that there's black beans in there. They can't even taste it or they can't guess that it's in there. So um, where is I going with that? Um, so, yes, it's a it's so it's not a diet. I hate that that word. I hate people thinking about this as a diet because it's just it's about it's about a, a pattern of eating that is going to optimize not just your physical health, your mental health as well. And we have focused on the physical health in terms of, of dietary patterns. And what we do in the book is really talk about those mental health benefits. And just like as a sort of the full reminder to your listeners, there's not a single study out there that has shown that the Western diet or the sad American, you know, the standard American diet or the sad diet has been good for our mental or physical health. In fact, all the indicators suggest that it's getting worse. So all those parents who say to you, oh, do you're being so strict, you kind of would have to say, but um, there isn't any, there's no research out there that says feeding my child with this ultra processed foods is going to be supportive of their long-term physical and mental function. Why would I do that? <laughs> Why would I right. set them up that way? Is that what you want to do with your kid? I mean, I don't think that would be a great conversation to have, and I would certainly wouldn't word it that way, right. but that's what they're essentially saying to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting too. It's called the sad diet when we are the, when America is the most obese and sickest country in the yeah, world. Exactly. And if I, mean, I know it, it really, if you just look at how our school lunches are and what they're feeding our kids, mm. what the, they're offering to feed our kids. Um, and yep. it's sad because there's a lot of families that really rely on school lunches to feed their children. And that's something that they need support with. And instead of supporting yep. them, we're just completely sabotaging their physical and mental health. And I think it's exactly honestly a, a criminal, in my opinion. Um, I think it's a big crime <laughs> in our country is the way that we're teaching um, and letting our school system feed our children. And um, we're pretty lucky where That's... we live. There's a big local, very large community garden, um, and they bring fresh produce all the time throughout the year. And um, it's you know That's highlighted so in salads and things like that. Um, but it's still supplemented with food from the state, um, which is yes. subpar to say the least. And um, it's something that has always really saddened me is those families that do rely on it. And that's what, you know, their, their kids are eating because they need to feed them. 
Exactly. But that's also because the food industry has been able to dominate the conversation and has been able to dominate what is viewed as being a good diet. And that's where I was saying before around the focus on your packages, your ultra processed food packages is on the the fats, carbs, proteins, um, the calories, the salt amount. That's what's the focus or your sugars. That's what's the focus of the label and so that overshadows the importance of those micronutrients and so they're 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 focused on the macro those macronutrients and that's allowing them to get away with the types of foods that they're giving the children because they're saying oh they're very well balanced in those macronutrients and it's low in sugar and it's low in salt and it's low in fat and all those things but it doesn't contain those nutrients i have this um i I in in new zealand we have a star rating system for foods and it's got a five star rating in that um, you get a five star if your food is low in calories low in fat low in sugar, low in salt, and is supplemented with one nutrient. And so what I always say is, but a cardboard box would get a four-star rating, but that doesn't wow. mean you have to eat it. So, you know, it, I really do just challenge the packaging and the messages that are being given to families, things that are there to supposedly help them make better choices, but in fact are not helpful at all. And I think part of why I can say that is that I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not engaged in the, the food industry, and I'm just looking at it naively going, seriously, this is all about what's not in the food and not what's in the food? Shouldn't anyone care that whether or not there's any nutrients in there? That should be the five star. It's about whether there's micronutrients in there it's, and that there's no glyphosate in there or it's not laden in, in uh, chemicals that have been added in there to, to make this taste good. That's not part of your five-star rating so that's where i i just sort of look i say it as it is and there's and these these systems also exist in other parts of the world as well they sometimes they go down as traffic light systems i don't think there's anything in the states i haven't been told about that so um but they certainly i remember when i when i could travel and i'd go into the airport and they'd be all these menus and they would be telling you the calorie content of it and that was supposed to lead me to make my food choice and assist me and I just go well actually that metric is so outdated and it's not helpful but that's what the public want I guess or that's what the food industry is telling the public what they want and so we go with it right and calories does not equal nutrition and then you have these companies that are spending more time you know designing the cartoon characters on the boxes exactly than they are focusing on you know the nutritional content of the food and I think it's like you said is until we stop buying it until we you know uh, I think definitely in the last uh, handful of years people are getting a bit louder uh, in their protesting of being, you know, mm-hmm. hey, this isn't okay. This is, you know, detrimental. Uh, we are sick and people are dying and um, lifespan is actually um, getting, you know, shorter in areas where food is, you know, not decent quality. And so um, I think that it's so, so important for people to discuss it and to, you know, really, um, like you said, as a family, Um, And being able to, you know, community is a huge factor. And so when you have the ability with your family to make it a family affair, um, to learn how to cook together, you know, to spend that time together anyway, which is also something that helps to be mentally resilient is having it, you know, your family being supportive. So I think that's so important to see them all work on it together. Yes, sit down and have your dinner together, put the devices away and enjoy the meal. And it's part of our culture. Yeah. So so many changes, so many modern things have not been that great for our health, but that would be another entire conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That is a, 
yeah, in a very short period of time, it seems like everything just got shoved in a box and uh, the inner part of the grocery store got much larger than the, you know, the outer section that had the fresh fruits and meats. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think this has been such an important conversation. Is do you Can you think of anything else that might be helpful to our listeners? I think a lot of them, um, like you said, are just coming to a place where they can have this capacity to focus on this conversation, or maybe it's something they've been trying but struggling with. So is there you know, any final kind of advice you could give or any closing comments you'd like to make? Right. Um, I just think we have to, as a community and as a society, keep going at it. One of the things I say at the end of a lot of talks is reminding uh, the you know listeners that randomized trials in the 1600s showed that putting limes aboard ships headed out for long voyages completely eliminated the 40% mortality from scurvy, but it took the British government 264 years to uh, mandate that all ships should carry citrus for their sailors. So I I say that because it took a long time. It takes a long time for change to occur, but then when change occurs, it's a tipping point. And, you know, I I just always say when I speak to people like you is just how long is it going to take our society to recognize that suboptimal nutrition is contributing to the current mental health crisis? As soon as that that light bulb goes on for enough people, it's just going to be a tipping point. And then we're all going to kind of go, oh yeah, of course, you have to eat well for your brain. And I can move on and change my career and do something completely different. But until that tipping point happens, I guess I'll just keep going and um, keep doing the research, keep saying it over and over and over again until enough people hear it. I think that's exactly what we have to do. And I'm so grateful for your time and your expertise and being here today. Um, It's such an important topic. And um, I'm I'm just really grateful for the work you're doing and the opportunity to learn more today. So thank you. Yes, well, thank you for the opportunity to talk to your listeners. I really appreciate it. I'm so delighted that you were interested in wanting to talk about it with me. So thank you, Sarah.